welcome to talc teaching and learning consultation skills this is the talc talks podcast helping everyone who sees patients to improve their consultation skills to get better outcomes and this approach can even increase your job satisfaction I'm joined today by Anne, Jonathan and Julian. Anne, would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Anne Thomas. I'm a GP in Manchester and a primary care medical educator also in Manchester. Thank you. Julian? Hi, I'm Julian Tomkinson. I'm a GP and trainer in Bolton and a primary care medical educator in Manchester with Anne. Thanks. And Jonathan? Uh, Hi everyone, I'm Dr Jonathan Squibbs. I'm a GP trainee based in South Manchester. Great, thank you. This podcast is part of a module which is called Talc Skills for Effective Explanations and Planning Care. And it's mainly about the chapter called Do Non-Clinical Problems Take Up Your Clinic Time? Many patients do bring life problems to consultations all mixed up with their illnesses. This can include things like housing, relationships, work problems and so on. We do like to understand our patients in a holistic way, yet many clinicians feel they can't do much to help the non-medical aspects of the patient's experience. This can lead to frustrations or, on the other side, sometimes clinicians feel they have to solve everything and they get rather overburdened by their patient's problems. Sometimes consultations can turn into very long conversations without very much actually being achieved. Some of the newer social prescribing and care navigation services can be helpful, but in the hot seat of the consultation, many patients don't want a referral or counselling. They want to be understood and helped straight away. And there is a method called the bathe technique, which emphasises bathing the patient in empathy, and it can be a helpful way to handle these situations. Anne, could you explain what it means to use the bathe method and to bathe the patient in empathy? Yeah, bathe is a mnemonic for the following stages to the discussion. So it starts with B. B is for background. That's about using open questions to understand what's the background to the problems. And that's backed up with empathic comments that demonstrate understanding of the patient's predicament and that you empathise with it. The A is for how's this affecting the patient? So how's the patient feeling about the situation they're in? What's the impact of this? Using active listening skills to really try and understand and name the patient's feelings with the aim that this can enable really empathic comments to be expressed. So that's the B and the A. The T is really trying to focus on what aspect is troubling the patient the most. The aim here is to focus the conversation because as Avril said, often you can go around in circles, particularly when there's several issues. Finding the most troubling thing is really trying to focus on something specific, what's important to the patient. I mean, it is common that patients struggle or cannot identify this straight away, or they might comment that it's you know, it's not one thing, it's all the things together, giving patients time to think about it, or even if that is the main issue, then voicing that and saying, look, the most troubling point of this is that you're feeling really overwhelmed by all of these things. So H is for handling. So as in, how are you going to handle this? So, or how are you going to tackle this, deal with this, or approach this problem? It really helps the clinician to mobilise the patient's own resources and to endorse or support the actions that they're taking. You're helping patients take control. In situations where patients are feeling overwhelmed, then maybe strategies like making a list or doing one thing at a time are really simple, yet they're really valid and practical ways to help patients move forwards. And that's what you're trying to do. Follow-up can always be offered as needed. The bathe approach can be used again. 
So B-A-T-H, we're on E. So E is sort of crux of this, and that's the empathy. The clinician really needs to respond to the emotional experience and feelings and relationship building elements throughout this bathe conversation. And this is more empowering than sticking to the facts and decision-making aspects of what a patient's saying. Thanks, Anne. What I've noticed is when you use an approach based on this, lots of patients end up saying things like, oh, thank you for listening, which is usually a sign that you've got on the right track with a patient, isn't it? And when we name feelings accurately and empathise accurately with what's going on, it can be surprisingly comforting to patients because it shows that their emotional state has been understood. Jonathan, as a clinician in training, I guess this is an unfamiliar approach and I'm wondering what thoughts came up for you. Yeah, it's a very unfamiliar approach to me, certainly when I was first introduced to this during my training. And I think certainly I had the opinion sort of in general practice and as a doctor, you want to do everything you can to to cure and fix problems and quite play an active role there as the GP. So this idea of not jumping to start medicines or to refer somebody onto services that might be appropriate to them and actually just say, well, let's take some some time, listen to you, understand your problems and then put it back to yourself. It was quite quite an unusual concept for me, but one that I over time I've come to see is really important. I suppose one of the things that I was wary of, particularly at the beginning, is, is times when patients say, well, I've just no idea how to approach this or, or ask me what I'd do. And so I was just wondering kind of what your thoughts were about how we, we approach those patients or kind of next steps there, really. Um, thanks, Jonathan. I hear what you're saying. I think that is really difficult. I think the important thing about BATHE is that if you continue to be empathic and acknowledge the difficulties that people are having, maybe saying something like, you know, it's hard when you're not sure what to do next and really go on to explore with patients what the first steps might be. Well, maybe asking a patient to make a list of problems or to work out their priorities can be really useful strategies. I mean, this can be something that can be done together or using time sort of wisely. This can be done after the consultation, doing it at home or at their own pace. And actually taking control of that can sometimes be really empowering for people. Yeah, I suppose it's it's all about, isn't it? I suppose giving them techniques to use and you can either sort of guide them through it or say, look, why don't you go and try this? But another thing that I find particularly in the area that I work is that people have just got so many issues they're struggling with. Sort of, there's no one thing that's troubling me. There's, there's lots of problems coming at once. And again, I think that can be quite challenging to deal with quite initially when you're new to this technique. I think that's right. Again, I'd pick up on Anne's point about empathy because the, the crucial thing with the bathe technique, bathing somebody with empathy, is about being understood in relationship to their non-medical problems. So an empathic comment, something like, you know, it seems as though being overwhelmed is really the most troubling thing for you at the moment. Sometimes it deepens rapport and people just go, yeah, yeah, you put your finger on the on the thing there because that's what's so difficult. I've just got too much going on. But then you've almost identified being overwhelmed as a very specific problem. And you can sort of say, well, if being overwhelmed is the most troubling thing, how could we tackle that? And sometimes that's about getting people to go away and prioritise what should we tackle first or just making a list sometimes of of all the things they've got to tackle can sometimes help them to focus on something and they might then start to think about some practical actions that they might take. Julian, overall it sounds as though people's experiences are that this is a reasonably practical technique. How do you go about helping clinicians to learn how to do this and to be confident about having a go at it themselves? Yeah, I think it's a really effective technique to practice. 
And it can be done in, either in a one-to-one setting or in, in a group education setting. I think it's, initially it's, it's sensible to an individual or group discussion with the clinicians or the learners to tease out their feelings and their concerns about being faced with these kind of non-clinical problems. I think sometimes that has to come out first before then you can move on to the actual practical technique of the, of the bathe technique. Nearly everybody that you speak to is faced with problems with patients who have lots of things going on that aren't always medical problems and, and can't be solved. We've certainly found that by introducing the bath technique as a possible aid and solution to these really common issues that trouble lots of doctors and clinicians, we often see ears prick up. Either in a one-to-one or a group setting, the educator who's running the session can model the process with the individual or a volunteer and help them just choose a suitable problem that they have. And this is often a non-clinical problem in their own life. It's really important to clearly signal each stage of the process to really help learn the, the technique and the model. After it's run through, it's followed by a debrief and the educator would, would ask the clinician or the volunteer, how did that feel? And then they might ask, who owned the problem? Was it me or was it you? Was it the clinician or was it the educator? This can then be repeated in a one-to-one setting by the trainer and the clinician swapping over and swapping roles, or in a group that can break off into little pairs. And it's really, really crucial that the stages of the bath technique that Anne described earlier are available for reference so that the pressure of trying to remember them isn't there. So that could be on a handout or on a screen. And there are some really detailed descriptions of how to perform these methods in the accompanying written materials. I mean, as a, as a live example, Avril, would you bathe Jonathan for us? Certainly, yes. Uh, I'm sure Jonathan would like to be bathed in some empathy. Um, so Jonathan, perhaps you could tell me about a non-clinical problem that you're grappling with at the moment. Well, I'm actually in the process of buying my first house. And I mean, they always say buying a house is probably one of the most stressful things you do, isn't it? But I thought well, it's easy, it's first home, no chain. It's just, uh, so I put the offering on the house in about seven months ago now, and the buying of it is just really dragging on, sort of having lots of difficulties trying to trying to contact the seller solicitor to get documents signed and mortgage offer expires soon. And yeah, I suppose it's just getting to the point where it's really dragging on. I'm just really not sure kind of where to go with it next or anything. Oh, it's, it sounds like you were hoping it would be quite straightforward. So it's particularly disappointing disappointing that it's dragged on and it also sounds like you've got all these other constraints like other people's solicitors the mortgage offer and all this kind of thing so that does sound quite a stressful business actually I can understand that okay Jonathan I'm wondering how this is actually affecting you day to day and how are you feeling about it all yeah I mean it's stressing me out I think having to to chase everything and to sort of see what's happening I think it's it's taking time out of my sort of normal day activities of having to ring estate agents or uh, solicitors and send messages. And I think it's just that the not knowing as well is really stressing me out and just troubling me. Of I think, like you say, it's disappointing and, and that's what it is. And I was expecting one thing and it's not happened. And it's just, yeah, I think it's all all coming together now as, as it's been going on for so long. And yet it seems so close, but so far as well. Yeah. So the pressure's building up as time's going on. And it, it sounds like, apart from being disappointing, it's actually interfering with some of the other things you have to get on with. with with your day because it's not like you're not busy in your work and studies and all that kind of thing is it out of this big problem with buying the house what's really troubling you the most I think the, the main thing is probably just that I, I don't know when this is going to end or get sorted and I'm just worried about if, if it carries on for a few more months you know it is this going to carry on getting in the day of, of day, daily work routine and, and things and just really sort of 
you know, how I go forward with that in terms of, you know, making it not impact me as much, but also mean that I'm less worried about it and just sort of say it's out of my control, really. And that, yeah, that's what's troubling me. So if I understand this, one of the things that's really bothering you is the sense that you can't really work out how long it's really going to take. It's not like you can say at least it'll all be finished by next Christmas or something like that, whatever. Hope it won't take that long. But there's this sense of not being quite in control, not having quite some sort of sense of this. I think you started to say something about how you might tackle that feeling of, you know, not knowing when it's going to end. How how are you going to approach that? I suppose thinking about it, it's really, this is really out of my control, isn't it? I think that actually we've got solicitors involved and you know I sort of just have to trust that they're doing their job and they're they're chasing what needs to be done I think in terms of sort of making time to when I when I will chase it so sort of maybe planning a day and saying okay well I've got 30 minutes on this day that I'm going to be able to ring my sisters or email them to see what the status is rather than kind of constantly kind of checking emails and wondering what's going on and I think that I might have less impact on sort of day to day and also just mean that I know when I'm going to approach things when I'm going to contact people and have a bit of structure to, to that as well and it might help. Right well that, that sounds like a really practical thing where you sort of allocate a bit of each day to I'm going to do all the house worrying and fretting and emailing now and then at other times let it go off your brain so you can relax a bit and just get on with what you're going to do it sounds like a really good plan Julian what's the effect of trying this out when clinicians are actually learning this technique for the first time Jonathan mentioned he learned this last year and you know it was a few years ago when I first did this session with you and I think it's really powerful because they talk as themselves uh, and often the feedback we get from uh, simulated consultations or role plays is that it feels a bit false because it's you know it's not really me but I think it's a really powerful experience when you're talking about your own problem it's really important that the setup's done very carefully that's described in detail in the accompanying written materials which I said earlier but it really helps the exercise to be as powerful as it can be and also unthreatening what you see is that it really highlights the benefits of, of empathy in a really practical way by bathing people or being bathed, you get that kind of mutual feeling and understanding. The last thing really is, it, I've talked about how powerful it is, but I think it's, it's empowering. And these kind of techniques have really helped me over the years just to, to feel that like you don't have to solve all the, patient, all the problems that patients present with. Um, and it really helps in not feeling overwhelmed or overburdened. And when we get feedback from the session, it is always highlighted as one of the most useful sessions that we do. And I think uh, you once said it, it was described as a form of magic. Well, I think it is interesting how clinicians can feel as overwhelmed as patients sometimes by hearing about, you know, lots of things that are going on in people's lives. And it's very important that clinicians do a good job with what is their job, which is the clinical care, the medical care, the things that we do know about and have influence over and have some expertise in. But we can't take control of people's lives. It's not our job, but it's also we don't have the possibility to take charge of people's lives. We can't kind of move in with them and sort their lives out so having some way of tactfully empathically kindly handing the patient's own problems back to them often with some kind of way forward or some kind of nudging that will help them do something can actually help to stop clinicians feeling very overwhelmed and exhausted as well and that means you can go home at the end of the day feeling a a little bit more sprightly which is a good thing let's go to ask jonathan have you been actually trying this out with patients and how, how did it go 
I have been using it with patients, yeah, and I've, I found it really, really helpful for all, this, for all the reasons we've mentioned. Particularly, I mean, I, I use it in patients who come with maybe acute distress or things that have been going on for maybe quite short duration, but people who maybe don't have what we class necessarily class as like a depressive illness or, or meet those thresholds for that. And I think it's really helpful just to sit and listen to people to work through that structure. Sometimes these consultations can be quite unstructured and it just helps to bring a little bit of, of, of structure to, to the conversation. But also, as you say, it's about putting it back on the patient of letting them make decisions about how they're going to, to work through these and, and practical solutions. And almost always patients leave with ideas as how they're going to uh, approach their problems, but also knowing that they can come back if they think things are worsening and we can have you know, pick up discussions and, and readdress things. So I do, I find it really useful, very, um, lots of, of positive experiences with this. And like Julian was saying as well, I find it really freeing as well from a, a personal perspective, just to know that actually, you know, I haven't taken these problems on myself, but I've helped a patient to, to understand them, to guide them through it and help them to, to manage the situation themselves. So yeah, I find it really helpful, really useful as part of my practice. Thank you, Jonathan. That's really interesting and helpful. And I think your point that this is so useful when people are acutely very distressed or disturbed by something, it's really helpful, isn't it? Because people do often seek our help when they've got some acutely difficult problem at work or at home or something. And this can be a way of, of both showing sympathy and kindliness, because sometimes the doctor is the kindest person in somebody's life. But at the same time, you're not trying to fix everything. So thank you to everybody for describing the bathe technique and we worked through an example there. There is written supporting materials and further reading in the written material that comes with this chapter. And this chapter also links to other skills in the TALC Skills for Building Effective Relationships module. For example, can you go beyond flat pack empathy? And also TALC Skills for Explanations and Planning Care, including how to enjoy those patients with really long-term problems, which is where we can use a different version of the bathe called the positive bathe method thank you everybody this podcast was brought to you by nhs professional educators making training available to all